my name is Matt Warren. If you don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here, one of the elders, and uh, we're just excited that you guys are here to worship with us today. I'm looking for AJ. Is she in here? There you are. I was not looking far enough back. Come here, sweetie. So many of you know Anne-Larie um, Taylor. She is in second grade. You know what we're going to do? Sit up there on the stool. That'll be easy, right? You got it? Great job. Okay. So I have a couple of questions for AJ this morning about something that she's doing at school. You want to hold the mic? Okay. Hold it real close to your chin. A little higher. Right there. Say hi to everybody. Hi. There we go. Okay. Are they scary to look at? No? Okay. Are you looking at them? Or are you just looking at the TV? No. No? Okay. <laughs> All right. AJ, what is it you're about to do at school? I'm bringing Bibles to school day. It's bring your Bible to school day. What day is that happening? June. Thursday? Is it October? October the 5th. So October the 5th, with, which that is coming in, in about two weeks. Is that about right? Does anybody know a calendar? Okay. So October the 5th. It's going to be an important day. Um, you have been doing this Bring Your Bible to School event for how many years? You counted it all for me earlier when we practiced. Uh, it was three days because I did it in kindergarten and I did it in first grade and now I'm doing it in second grade. Okay, so three years she has been leading out at her, and she goes to Greenbrier Elementary School, by the way. She's been uh, working hard to get all of her students in, in the school uh Bibles, right? That's yes. your, one of your big goals. Yes. And I know you are, have a devotion sheet that you've printed out to, that they can pick up on their own yes. so they can do family devotions and those kind of things. That's really yes. cool. Yeah. Okay? Yes. So, AJ, why do you want to do this? Because I want to share the gospel. You want to share the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus' word. It's Jesus' word. And we talked about that too, the truth yes. that Jesus has died. He came, yes. died, and was buried, and he rose again, yes. right? Yes. Um, so, what can we do for you, AJ? Uh, Y'all could come to the, the restaurant. I don't know which kind, but it's, it's really close to my school, and y'all can walk and pray. Yeah. So, that morning, I think, what time is it, Danny or Julie? Is it 6 o'clock? My mom's not in here. But... Your mom's not in here? And my dad. What time is it? 6 o'clock. And it's going to be, uh, there's a restaurant across the street, basically, about a... An eighth of a mile from Greenbrier Elementary School. And there's going to be a group of people meeting there to pray and then walking over to the school to help her take the Bibles and some of those things in. Now, here's the other thing that you can do. We've actually run out of Bibles here at the church for her to have enough to give away. So if you want to give some money so we can help her purchase some more Bibles, uh, please do that. Uh, you can just do it this way. Drop a little bit of money. Um, we have some... I'm, Don, can you do me a favor? There's some offering envelopes out in that bookshelf in the Welcome Center. Get those and just uh, take a marker real quick and write on there Bibles. We'll have those out by the offering box. So if you want to write a check, you can just make a note on there. Or if you have cash and you want to do that, put that in there. We'll take money this Sunday and next and get some Bibles for AJ to pass out to her friends. Isn't that cool? So here's what we're going to do right now, though. We're not going to just wait to pray on that Thursday morning, October the 5th, for AJ and all the impact that she's going to make by giving out the Bibles. We're going to pray for you now, sweetie. Is that okay? Yes. All right, I'm going to take that mic from you so you don't have to hold it anymore, and I'm going to pray for you, okay? Heavenly Father, 
We are so blessed by AJ's heart to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with her friends at school. And Lord, this is not just a little flash pan thing that she's been doing for just a moment. This is obviously her third year to do this, and she's been growing in her confidence, in your faithfulness to her, and her confidence to share the good news. Lord, I know that uh, as she and her parents and I have talked uh, about the, the Gideons supporting this effort and other people as well, we just pray that you would do work through it. I'm thankful for the school administration that is willing to uh, make sure that this is a viable option for AJ and others. We're, we're thankful that students still have the freedom to do this and the freedom to not just provide the Bibles, but also to pick them up. And they can take their Bibles to school anytime and read them any, any moment um, that's appropriate. And so, Lord, we just pray for AJ that you would continue to strengthen her, that you would empower her. And, Lord, we also know this, that the enemy is not happy with what she's doing. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give her health and strength and clear mind about all the things that she's going to face as she gets ready for the, the uh, October 5th and that event. And so, Lord, we especially pray that you would use the devotion that families get to read and these Bibles being placed in the hands of, of children at Greenbrier Elementary and other schools around our nation as well, and that you would use the Word of God by the power of your Spirit to draw students, children, to yourself and parents alike. So we know that this is a really important thing, and we see your hand of blessing on it. And so we pray that you would continue to work through AJ and her family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, sweetie. Let me help you get down. Let me set this down. You got it? Way to go. All right. Um, Mallory, uh, you can stay there, okay, um, for most, well, I'm actually, Juliana, come here, I'm going to have you do something for me, that'll make it easier, she's got Adeline, and I'm not going to have her run up and down with Adeline, um, you, you may know as a church family, um, a couple, gosh, it's been almost eight weeks ago now, uh, maybe a little longer than that, Mallory, uh, who is our administrative assistant, she actually has resigned, um, she's with child again, and uh, part of what she and Will knew is as they got their family continued to grow, that she would not have the desire and energy and all the, the dynamics would just be for her to, to step away from the ministry. So Mallory, that is a gift from us to you to say thank you for all the things that you have done for us in ministry. Um, I personally want to say this, uh, you, you provided some incredible help for both me personally and for our church in some really difficult seasons because you came in in the midst of COVID, uh, handled PPG, I think it's PPE. See, I, you handled it. I didn't have to. So um, PPG, what is that? That's, that's Brandy's business. That's the business my wife used to work for. So yeah, just you can see my mind's like moving through lots of things. Um, it used to be a steel trap. Now it's a rusty box. Um, but Mallory, all that to say, you, you tremendously, like we're a tremendous part of uh, holding down the fort during some really difficult seasons. Um, with that, personally, you also minister to me in the midst of some of my doctoral work that I've been pursuing. Watch me in the stress and trying to juggle a lot of things. And, and we're just really uh, consistent, faithful, understanding, and gracious. And I can't thank you enough. Um, so that's just a gift on, to say thank you for everything. Uh, so y'all give Mallory a round of applause for serving us. <clears throat> and then I do want to share this as well. Um, and, and Mallory, thanks again because you, you jumped in and helped us in the, the midst of things last this past week. We actually have hired someone. 
Um, so Denise Randolph is who will be hired. She'll officially be starting next Tuesday, and our office hours are going to move to Tuesday. She'll be doing some things remotely, um, so you'll be getting introduced to Denise in the coming uh, weeks, and we're excited about her. She's got um, a lot of experience in administrative stuff at church, and I think she'll be doing a good job and helping us uh, both as we uh, make the transition from Mallory but move forward in ministry. Um, so uh, Marley, thanks again for great worship this morning. I uh, appreciate you filling in for Mason these couple weeks. We'll see you again next week. I'm excited about that. Y'all be praying for uh, Mason and Riley as they're still in Austria on their honeymoon. That's uh, I haven't seen, I saw one post and looked like they were having fun. And uh, he said something about you could give him money through Venmo so they could buy a schnitzel. I was like, <laughs> what a loon. Um, no, so I, I started to go, yeah, Katie, we need to do that. Um, so I, I don't know if it's a schnitzel, but, uh, you know, whatever. So welcome. Let's, let's jump into the message now. So we're going to be in, uh, continuing in our series on Mark. And uh, Katie, I don't know if you can find You, you did it. You're, you're ahead of me. You, yes, that's why. Wow. I don't know if that's good or bad, sweetie. Um, you're reading right where I want to go. Um, so this, this series in Mark, we've titled this. The Gospel of Mark, the person and work of Jesus. And if you recall, one of the things that um, I've, the Lord was doing in my heart and mind as I was preparing for this series was I, I often think through, when I go through the Gospels, I'm constantly like, okay, Lord, what is it that you're teaching through that? Um, looking at the parables, what is it that Jesus teaches? When Jesus responds to people, how is it that he reacts? I want those lessons. And so as we were looking at this series, uh, the, the main thought, kind of that forerunner or, or that, that piece that, that I kept going, this needs to be the, the tip of the spear, is not so much what Jesus teaches, but who the person of Jesus is. I think it's one of those things as I've continued to, to wrestle with this and have conversations with folks in my life. One of the things that I've really realized is a lot of times, especially in American culture, we want the three points to tell, help us go apply three practical things in our lives so that we can improve. It just, it seems like that's part of our culture and makeup as Americans. One of the things that I think we miss, though, when we do that with the gospel is we miss the presence of the Lord. And so this idea is really about what does it mean to walk in a way that we are present, present with Jesus and we present him well to others so that they understand his person and his presence. I was uh, engaged in a conversation, I can't remember who with, was with this week, and one of the things we were talking is about the, the future of glory. And the idea is this, it's, it's not going to be so much that we're given, like I, maybe it was when pre-marriage counseling, so I can't remember, but the, the idea is that in, in heaven, we're, we're going to see our loved ones that are believers. But it's not going to be so much about seeing those loved ones as it is about seeing the person of Jesus Christ that we will behold him face to face. And I think part of this struggle for me is that's not always how I view things. And so that relationship gets like dim compared to doing all these things. And I'm not saying that we, our faith ought to produce work. So I'm not saying that it ought not, okay? But what I'm saying is I think a lot of times we miss the person of Christ. And we're going to get to heaven and we're going to be spending more time with Christ. And we're going to miss like, right, realize that we've missed out what it really means to know him here. And so this series is about 
really understanding the presence of Jesus, who he is. And, and so recognizing that, that drives us into a, a deeper intimacy with him. So th- this morning, what we're going to look at is Mark chapter 2, verses 23, starting 23. And we're going to go through chapter 3, uh, verses, uh, verse 6. And I'm going to talk about uh, three things out of this passage. But let me give you the title first. This is Jesus establishing himself or, or demonstrating how he is Lord of the Sabbath. This would probably be a familiar text if you've been in church for a while. But it's him establishing himself as Lord of the Sabbath. And I'm going to look at three things. The answer that he gives, the proof for the answer that he gives, and then the problem. That's a little bit out of order, but it's also the way the text flows, so it's kind of interesting to me. Um, like normally we think, well, what's the problem, what's the proof, and the answer. Jesus actually kind of gives that in, in a reverse fashion here. So let's take our Bibles and let's look at Mark chapter 2, verse uh, 23, and we'll read through 3, 6. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, this chapter 3, verse 1. And again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So it's interesting. Um, let me give you a little bit of context uh, to begin with before we start unpacking this. Um, so, so when we think about the Sabbath, that was, if you're familiar with the Old Testament context and history, it, it, this should be just pretty simple for you, but I just want to kind of put it in the forefront of our minds. The Sabbath was an important event. Typically, the Jews used two major observances uh, to symbolize who they were. The first was circumcision. It was established with Abraham as one of the earliest symbols of the, the Jewish faith that they were of that people group. And you can go back and look at that in Genesis 17. Uh, The second, when the law was given to Moses, the second observation was the Sabbath, that it was a very visual ritual for them to be participating in, one that they consistently kept and upheld. Um, What's interesting is that the the Sabbath became such an important part of the Jewish life, that they continue to add rituals to define 
aspects of it. And so if you go back and look, like especially what happened is there's this idea of, uh, that these, the rabbis collected these pieces of information in a thing called the Talmud. They would speak into this. They'd just get, grab traditions and add all these things together, adding to the rules where they're clarifying all of what uh, the Sabbath meant. And so here's some of the things that, that are really interesting. One thing that uh, they, they were concerned with about violating Sabbath rules was how far one might travel on a uh, Sabbath day. Has anybody ever seen uh, or been to a Jewish community in, in our uh, era today? It's, it's interesting. You can see this. There's a, you have Mike. Um, it's really cool. It's interesting if you've noticed this. Um, there's a, there was a strong Jewish community in Memphis when Katie and I lived there. I remember driving through and, and looking at these things. But they, would, uh, they were limited to walking 1,999 steps from their home on Sabbath. That's all they could do. And so how they would get around that is they would actually string cord from their house across places to extend the mark of their house. So if you've ever been in a strong Jewish community, you can actually see the strings up around places. They still do this today. And so what's interesting here is that observance, uh, when the Pharisees confront Jesus, what do they confront him about? They confront him and his disciples about gathering grain, which was a breaking of the Sabbath, so to speak. Now, Jesus uh, does clarify this, but they were out. Supposedly, uh, the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus and his disciples that by gathering the grain and popping those heads off and and putting it in their uh, hands to get the the, uh, chaff off and then to eat it, they were actually doing work. Now, here's what's interesting to me. And we're going to get into this a little bit later, but I want just to hold on this thought. The Pharisees criticized Jesus and his disciples about the work, but nothing was said about the distance that they walked to get into these fields of grain. And I think this is why. And it's not in the text. This is just me putting some things together. But I think the Pharisees had walked as far as the disciples had. And and so they're trying to minimize their own issues while maximizing some some other difference in the, the system of the religion that was happening. So um, what we need to look at then is these things that Jesus tells us and, and how he responds in this conflict that the Pharisees have with him. So let's, uh, let's look back at the text, and I'm going to just review this really quick. Um, when Jesus says uh, in verse... Let's, well, let's go back to verse 24. And the Pharisees were saying, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. So put a a ribbon or something in your Bible right there in Mark to mark this. And we're going to go back and look real quickly at, at 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21. And I'm turning there with you. I didn't mark that beforehand, so you got a little time. 1 Samuel 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. And let me clarify something here, because I think this is important for us to understand how sometimes Scripture works and what Mark and uh, 
remember Peter's the one Mark is listening to tell these things in the firsthand experience. And so this is a piece that we need to understand. It's not inconsistent. When we read the text in 1 Samuel, um, we're going to read about Ahimelech, the priest. When we read in Mark, it's in the days of Abiathar. Now, what's the distinction? It's not that there's a, an inconsistency here. The, the son of Ahimelech is Abiathar. So when we think about Mark qualifying in the days of Abiathar, he's saying, hey, he was alive, and, and so it's in those days Ahimelech gets put to death, and so there's some reason that he qualifies it that way. So it's not that the Bible's wrong. It's not that it's inconsistent. It's just, held, it's just viewed from a different perspective, okay? Does that make sense? This means yes in Tennessee. This means no. This means I'm not sure if you're really clear. We good? Okay, good. I see more nods. That's good. Help. Thanks for helping me out. So 1 Samuel 21. Then David came to Nob, to Himlech the priest. Oh, let me set this context up because this is really important. In 1 Samuel 20, what's just happened is David and King Saul's son, Jonathan, they were, Jonathan and David were best friends. And Jonathan had heard that Saul was about to kill David. And so they're confirming this. And that's when Jonathan goes out and shoots the arrow and it falls short and gives the sign to, to David that he's in danger. And so David is now fleeing from Jerusalem to hide from Saul to preserve his life. Okay. And so likely, um, so this is the first encounter in his haste of what David's encountering in his need. So that sets this up. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to him, like the priest, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and which I, with which I char have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us, as always, when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now, uh, let's stop there. So, Here's, you know the context and what David's doing, and it's interesting because he takes this situation, and even though he's not sent by Saul, he's, he's saying, in a sense, he's used this excuse to, to um, not, maybe it's manipulate, but to provide for his needs. Now, here's why this is so important. Because what the priest actually does, it goes against the, the technical laws of the Sabbath. And he recognizes that David has a need, and that David's need is such that it would preserve him. And I think at this point, there's some knowledge that David's going to be king. He's had success in his military campaigns. And all of these, these certain circumstances uh, lean, lean in or, or cause Ahimelech to say, it's worth me providing for him and his young men. Now, why this is also important is, is um, this key factor. The... Talmud actually communicates that often the showbread that the priests were to, to uh, partake of at a, a certain point, that was the, the bread before the Lord, it would grow stale, and then they would just discard it. Now, I don't think that's the practical excuse or reason 
to give David the bread, but I think it shows that the bread also was about meeting the needs of people. And here's the, the greater point that, that comes about, and I think this is where we'll tie back into what Jesus uh, has to say, that the point of, the, of Ahimelech giving the bread to David is that David had a need, and the need for anything that the Lord places is not to restrict us, but it's to help us understand his good provisions for us. And so as David partakes of that showbread or the, the bread of the presence of the Lord, it's, Ahimelech is given to him, given this to him because he need, David and his men need this. Otherwise, they wouldn't survive. And so it's important for us to recognize that Jesus is going back and pointing out this uh, event not to make an excuse, but in, instead to demonstrate one thing first, that he has an intimate knowledge of the scriptures and his interpretation of that overshadows how the Pharisees were trying to nuance this and, and like um, in such a way that they were manipulating the scripture and, and saying, these are the laws, these are man-made laws that we are upholding and we're putting more pressure on you. Jesus is saying, no, these laws are in place to honor the Lord, but ultimately the Lord wants to meet our needs and provide for us, and that's ultimately what Sabbath is about. It's about our rest. It's about our hoping in the Lord. It's about us finding satisfaction and safety in Him, not about all these rules and restrictions. And so Jesus is using this technique, both of His knowledge and of how the Pharisees argued, to overcome their, uh, their, their arguments. The other piece is this. There's an, a messianic echo in this. All of this points to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, if you look back and just a little earlier in the context of, of Mark, and you can turn back there, it's interesting because in verse 19 of chapter 2, it says this, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. There's this context here that Jesus is establishing himself as the bridegroom. And so we, we don't need to worry about, he's saying, don't worry about these laws so much as recognizing the importance of being in my presence. Celebrate with me in my presence. So the disciples are being, uh, they're recognizing that Jesus is the Lord, that he's something and someone different than anyone who's come. And their presence is uh, with him is more important than any of the laws and the, the regulations that are being uh, held there. So those are part of the answers that that David or that Jesus gives. And here's the, the the highest one. And this is where I think we go back to Mark chapter two, verse twenty-seven. And this helps us clarify this. It says, "And he said, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath." So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Here is the key to me, this whole passage. What Jesus is saying is that the law of God, the law of love, is much higher than the law of regulations. Because loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. What is that? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's pointing to the, the higher law of God by which all of the laws really emphasize, okay? All the laws of the Old Testament really emphasize those things. And he's saying, I am superior 
to those, those laws. Those laws all point to me and what I'm going to do to give you freedom because I'm paying the penalty of sin. So there, the Sabbath is actually made for the benefit of man. And that's what the Pharisees had lost. They thought it was all about the, these regulations. And Jesus is saying, no, I want to give freedom. I want to bless people. I want to enhance the well-being of people. The Pharisees of all should have known that. So here's an, another interesting thing. If you look at verse 28, it says, so Jesus, and this is Jesus uh, speaking. He says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That title is an interesting title. We're not going to go back to the text and look at all this, but I want you to, to note, especially if you're taking notes. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 15, this is a place where the Son of Man title is used. And what that title represents is the divine origin of the one who would restore humanity to God. So the brokenness of humanity because of sin would be restored because of the Son of Man who comes in in his divinity to, to redeem mankind. So Jesus utilizing this title, he's expressing his authority as the divine creator, the one who would restore over all of these laws. So when he says the Sabbath is created as man, he's doing that out of the authority of the one who is going to restore. It's a little subtle detail, but it's so important. So here's the declaration. The declaration that Jesus is making in that last statement in chapter 2 is that he is God. His meaning is this. Just as God created the Sabbath for man, Jesus himself, too, is squarely in the place of God, and his divine purpose is to reset the true meaning of Sabbath. See, what Jesus, what, what Jesus provides when we come to him as Lord of the Sabbath is this. He provides us true rest. He provides us true reconciliation. He provides us hope. He provides us freedom from the law of sin and death. He gives us the redemption that he alone can provide so that we have hope. So the greatest significant lies in this. The, the laws that guard the Sabbath, those should be um, done away with so that we can fully recover a relationship with Christ who is Lord. Isn't that good news? See, so when we think about what Jesus has done, it's about understanding the relationship with him as the Lord of the Sabbath, much more than keeping all these rules. So, so here's like a practical point. This is why when we get to, to uh, places in Romans and places in Galatians, the, the writers of Scripture tell us that we ought not to have to worry uh, as followers of Christ, we don't have to worry about the new moon festivals and keeping the Sabbath. Those, those things are set aside because they're satisfied in Christ. Christ has said every day ought to be a day of worship. It's not just about the Sabbath. It's us finding our satisfaction in the person of Jesus because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. So that's his answer. Like all that's packed in the answer that Jesus gives. It's about his person being the Lord. So here's the proof of the answer. And this is where, where I think it's also, like, I, I love the, the reverse of uh, thinking of this. Because here's the next scene is this. In chapter 3, we read it. But he entered the synagogue, and there was a man with a withered hand. And so as we go through this, 
what we see is Jesus providing a, a picture of his divine authority. Not only has he answered it, but because of his or through his and by his healing the man with the withered hand, he demonstrates his divine authority. And so let's look at a couple things that um, happen here as he heals this man. So first of all, um, they watch, let's, let's pick back up and we're going to read through this, through this and I'll comment on the way. And the, uh, verse 2, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So what was the Pharisees' perspective about the Sabbath in, from this? We see it's all about the regulations. They did not see that there's hope about the Sabbath, that this man might find rest from his de debilitating uh, condition. He, they were concerned about the laws and trapping Jesus, not the best for people. And so we see this um, as he, he continues. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, it is, is it lawful? So Jesus asked this question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Here's what Mark's trying to do. And, and we're going to jump ahead just for a second. Look at... Um, verse 6, it says, the, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So here's what Mark's doing in this situation. I'll, I, hopefully you'll catch this. Jesus is saying, do good or to do harm. To what, what is it? To say, to save life or to kill. Mark is pointing out the irony in the situation. Jesus wants to do good. He wants to save life. The Pharisees, on the other hand, want to do harm and destroy. And why we get this last picture, why we read this in verse 6, is what was their intent with the Herodians to do to Jesus? They wanted to destroy him. See the contrast that Mark is drawing there? Jesus prevents, I mean, presents life. The Pharisees are actually trying to prevent it. The, the, Jesus sees the good in what he's about to do to heal the man's hand. The Pharisees are concerned with the law that would actually do harm in preventing the man from, from being healed. And so the contrast is really clear. And so what Jesus is saying, my heart, my desire, as the Lord of the Sabbath, I want to provide a relationship with this man that's going to provide only good things for him to restore hope and heal him. And the Pharisees are only concerned about the limitations and hurting. And, and that's been their heart the whole time. So um, when we think about that, it, it points to this uh, problem to me that we have with, with all of mankind. And I want us to go back. Um, well, I want to see this. Um, I, I misplaced it right now, so I'm not going to worry about it. So, oh, here it is in verse 5. And so when Jesus responds to the Pharisees in verse 5, it says he looked around at them. And now this is interesting because there's two qualifiers here. It says that Jesus was angry and he was grieved. And he's grieved at a specific thing. Do you see what it says? At their what? Hardness of heart. So as I read that, I started thinking, how does my life, my heart, reflect the values of either Jesus himself or am I one that's often like the Pharisees? 
And it made me begin to think through a couple things. And, and I want to present this problem that all of us struggle with. It's, it's the problem of every man upon the face of the, the earth. And it's a problem that even we as believers can drift back into if we're not careful. And that is this, that all of us have a condition of a hardness of heart. So if we go back, and I would love for you to turn here, go back if you can, find Ezekiel. Um, it's right after Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, um, right before Daniel. So I'm just trying to give you a little bit of orientation. Ezekiel 11. Ezekiel 11, verses 19 and 20. It's, it's such an interesting passage. This is what it says. The prophet speaking, he says, I will give them, he's speaking on behalf of the Lord, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them, um, oh, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. So here's the condition. Every one of us before salvation has a hard heart. It's a heart of stone that needs transforming. And the Pharisees were in Mark, what we see is they're exemplifying that. And that does two things to the Lord. It angers him and it grieves him. I think it angers Jesus in the situation with the Pharisees because they ought to know better as teachers of the word, as those who've studied these kind of passages like Ezekiel. And, and they ought to have known that the Lord wants to, do, to change and to transform the hardened heart into one of flesh that's soft and tender towards him. But instead, the Pharisees, just like me, just like you, just like all of humanity, has, have a heart of stone. And they needed it transformed. And here's, as I begin to think about that, I start thinking, how do we respond oftentimes with the heart of stone? How do we know that that's where we are? Well, I want you to look at a couple more passages. Look at Ephesians 4, back in the New Testament. After Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 18 and 19, here's what we read. This is, uh, let's pick up at 17.2. It just says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He goes on to qualify that. What does the futility look like? They are darkened in their understanding, alienated, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So, so here's what I started thinking about in this term that describes, that, that may describe us even as believers, is this idea of insensibility, that we're insensible to the things of God, callous, hardened, that, that, that the things of the Lord just, they're before us, but we don't embrace them. And, and I think that's, a, a, honestly, a, a struggle for us in our contemporary era. There's so many things that can take our attention away from the Lord, from walking with Him, that our, that our time, our talents, our gifts, all those things are wasted on so many other things because we're insensible, we're, we're callous, 
we're hardened to the things of the Lord. And his, our attention to him drifts off into the background of our lives instead of the forefront of our lives. We're just as capable of that. There's another word. There's the word inflexible. So insensible and inflexible. Look at Romans 1, 18. Just back a couple towards the, the front of your Bible a little bit. Romans 1, 18 through, uh, and 21 and 22. I'll read these kind of together. It says in verse 18 of Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And it goes on, it talks about how they exchanged the, the um, glory of a mortal God for the, the things that are created and on and on. But ultimately what happens, and what I think these verses are describing, is the inflexibility of our hearts. That we often know God, but do not do what? Acknowledge Him as God. See, it's like we have these facts, but the truth is our lives are not surrendered to Jesus. That, that we know Him, but don't live in obedience to Him. And it comes back to the, that passage that this... It's, it's always in the forefront of my mind when I think about the, the importance of surrender and salvation. It's this fact that even the demons know who Jesus is. They, they have the factual information, but they have not surrendered to his lordship. They've not responded to his grace by, through faith. And, and so we have a responsibility both prior to salvation to, to surrender to Christ, but then on an ongoing basis in as believers to respond to the Lordship of Christ, to not become callous because the, the scriptures tell us that we can drift, that our hearts can become callous, that we can also become insensible and inflexible to the things of God and our hearts too can become hardened. So here's what I started thinking about. Well, great truth, uh, I hope, I think, it's, it's scripture. I think we see the importance and the priority of who Jesus is. And if he is Lord of the Sabbath, it means, the, the question is, how do we rightly surrender to him to find the hope that he offers? Well, I think it begins, first of all, in salvation. And I would encourage everyone here today to look back at your life and know that there's a point that you have surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And, and I'll, I'll share this out of my own testimony. Um, I've shared this pretty frequently because I think one is pretty clear. But as a fifth grader, I was asked if I knew Jesus was my Savior. And I was like, yeah, I get it. I, I know those truths and facts. And so I went through a period uh, of, of counseling at that point. But I don't remember repenting of my sin, acknowledging my own need for Jesus to be my Savior, surrendering to His Lordship at that point so that I was obeying him and desiring to obey him. It was just mental checklist. Like, yes, I know. Yes, I know. It was like true false, okay? It was not a heart change ever. And so I lived from the age of 10 to the age of 20, looking at other people in my life, comparing myself to them and going, I'm justified because I'm not like them. I'm not living in sin like they live. 
I'm not doing the rebellious things. Even if I was doing rebellious things, it was usually not with intent to be overtly rebellious. It was like, I'm, it's not so bad. And I was justifying my actions over and over again. And then through a season of my sophomore year in college, sin began to, to grow rampant in my life. And I'll give you one of the illustrations of how bad it got. My GPA my, at the end of my sophomore year was a whopping 0.91. Yeah. yeah. Shay's like shaking her head. What were you thinking? Yeah. So you can imagine, my parents find those things out. My dad brings me home and says, enough. We're not contributing to these things. And, and they'd seen other evidence, not just the GPA, other evidence of things in my life. And so my dad, I remember this day vividly. He sat at his desk, called me in his office. He had two chairs across from his, his desk. He was the, the uh, business manager at that point, I guess. Or maybe he was the owner. I don't remember now. But um, he was sitting across his desk talking to me and weeping over my sin and the things that my life had taken on. And a couple weeks later, I, at that point, I was wrestling with the Lord about things, being broken and convicted over my sin, thinking, Lord, if, if I'm back at 10, I did and said these things, but I knew at that, as a 20-year-old, if Jesus was the Lord of my life, I'd have lived a surrendered life to him. I'd, I'd had conviction that would have prevented me from sin. I, I would have been living... Uh, with more peace in my life. And so after about a month of, uh, actually it's probably about two months of wrestling with him, with the Lord, I just knew I've got to surrender to you. And so I got out of my bed one night, got on the floor. I don't, it's not magical. It's just what I needed to do in my own relationship and surrender to the Lord. But I got down on the floor on my knees and I prayed something about this simple. Lord Jesus, I know that my sin is what puts you on the cross and you paid the penalty for my sin. And I want to say thank you for doing that. And because of that, I know that I'm guilty, but you've taken my guilt and shame, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to surrender myself to you. Jesus, thank you for saving me. And I was like, I sat there, I remember this, I sat there and was like, I don't know what else to say or pray. And I was like, okay, I got up in my bed. But for the first time, in for as long as I can remember, there was a peace of, that Christ provided for me. And I went, and I, I kept that confined to myself, like private for a couple weeks. And then I shared that with my church and shared that with my dad. My dad thought I was trying to fix the conflicts in our, in our relationship, and he kind of scoffed it off. And I, I just had the wherewithal at that point to say, well, dad, you're just going to have to watch. It was, it was really out of humility. It wasn't out of arrogance or anything like that. And about two weeks later, my dad came back to me and he said, I want you to know you're different. And, and I share that nutshell of a testimony. Because if you're here today and you haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, the Lordship of Christ will make a difference in you because your heart of stone has been turned into a heart of flesh. The insensibility and the inflexibility towards the things of God will take, they'll, they'll be transformed. And there will be a newness in you that, that even, as a, and I put this in quotes, and as an infant in Christ, people will be able to see the beginning of maturity. The, the, the Holy Spirit will bear witness to the transformation that's occurred because Jesus has become your Savior. Because here's what Ephesians 1 promises, is when we trust Christ, we are actually sealed by the Holy Spirit 
until the day of redemption. It's an incredible promise with eternal implications. And so that heart of stone becomes the heart of flesh. But here's the problem. So, so well, let me, let me back up real quick. So if you're here today and, and that resonates with you, my story resonates with you, and you know, you go, Matt, I, I need to surrender like that. I just want to offer you this. Find someone here that could be Gina, it could be Debbie, it could be my wife Katie, it could be any number of people that are, are here. We want to take time to counsel with you. If it's a guy, you can find myself, you can find Jeff, you can find Brent, Michael, you know, any number of people here that would love to take time to counsel you about those things because we want to make sure that you really grasp the truth and the meaning of what salvation consists of. So you can find us in the foyer after the service for others of us. Maybe we've been walking with Christ. You go, you know what, Matt? Your story really resonates. I remember when, when I was transformed, when I surrendered to Christ. And I've been walking in, in obedience to him for a season. But I also know this. I've entered a season where my, my heart's going hard toward the things of God. That, I'm, that I have kind of grown insensitive to his things. I've grown inflexible. The things of the world have begun to take over my life. And my attention is not given to him like it ought to be. See, that, that's also the danger. We can drift back into those things. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Be careful lest you drift. We don't want to drift back into those things. Can I affirm you that if you'll return back, it's just the same kind of repentance that we return uh, to the Lord from our sin. We acknowledge the sin and turn back to him, repenting. Turning to Jesus is the key, though. It's not just trying to escape the consequences of sin and backing away, and Jesus is behind us. We've got to turn to Jesus and surrender to him. See, that's the key, the presence of Christ, because I, I can almost guarantee you, if you're finding yourself in that place of hardness towards Christ as a believer, it's because your intimacy with him has been hindered. And that, that's a tragic place to be, for a child of God, because you're sealed until the day of redemption. It's, it's dissatisfying to be there. You, you lose the joy and the privilege of knowing and walking with Christ well. And so I want to encourage you, if that's you today, will you do this? Will you acknowledge what's making you insensitive to Christ or inflexible to him? And would you return and acknowledge him again in a fresh way? as the Lord, and tell him that you don't want to refrain from obedience, but you want to walk in that surrendered life so that you experience the rest, the comfort, the joy, the hope of walking intimately with Christ. Does that make sense? Let's pray together, okay? Heavenly Father, as a, even as we were in worship this morning, I wrote this note down, is that I think for every one of us, we need to think about how we know the love of God over the rituals. Lord, it doesn't have to be Sabbath rituals. It can be so many other things that distract us and destroy intimacy with Christ. So for every one of us here, Lord, we, I want us just to, myself included, take stock, take account. Where is it that we are not really engaging relationship with you. What's preventing that? Lord, let us confess that as sin, as that which may be in the way of our intimacy with Christ, and let us repent of it so that we can restore that relationship, so that we can experience the love of Jesus again, that we might not 
look to those things, but we'd rather elevate the right law to love you, Lord, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And Lord, that's another piece of this. Lord, I, I think for every one of us, we ought to pray this as well. Who do we know that needs the love of Christ right now to be expressed through us to them? So Lord, we don't want to be people that are insensitive or inflexible. We, we want to be people that are rightly surrendered so that we know Jesus intimately. So Lord, I'm going to be quiet just for 30 seconds and I'm going to ask that, that each of us would take these 30 seconds just to be uh, responding to you in prayer, asking you, Spirit, to search us, to show us if there's any way that we need to repent and if there's any way that we need to rightly return to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that reveals the, the truth of Jesus and not just the truth of, but the truth of who he is. Lord, as I shared at the beginning of this message and throughout this series, our focus right now is really on the person of Jesus. Yes, it's about his work, but Lord, the work reveals who he is, and we need to know Jesus intimately. Lord, I, I love the fact that in this passage, we see how Jesus has elevated himself, and rightly so, as divine. Lord, as the creator, the one who created us, the one who created the Sabbath for us. Lord, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. For when we do that, we will find that, that which satisfies our souls, our hearts, our minds, our thinking, our efforts. Everything is about Jesus. And Lord, I'm, I'm sure like everyone else in here is in some sense like me. There's so many distractions. There's so many things that can occur in our, our world that create a, a, a blur that, that emphasize the veil that we see Jesus so uh, dimly through. But Lord, let us focus in on Christ so that the veil gets pulled back a little bit more and we see him clearly. So Father, I pray that as we uh, con contemplate these things, it wouldn't just be a Sunday morning that we do this, but Lord, these thoughts and the meaning of these things would carry with us through the week so that our intimacy with Jesus would increase more and more. So, Father, we surrender ourselves to you on an ongoing basis. I know I'm praying that for us, but, but Lord, corporately, we want to do that. Individually, we want to do that so that we find our hope and joy in Christ above all. We pray these things in his name and for his sake and glory. Amen.